Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. Welcome back to Parenting in the Trenches. We're going to continue talking about all things baby related and that new phase of parenting. And uh, today my guest is going to help us talk about sleep, infant sleep and our own self-care and sleep as new parents. Um, My guest today is Joanna Snyder a sleep consultant and owner of Sleep Soundly Consulting. When Joanna was ready to uh, shift some gears professionally um, from her previous career as a teacher, she considered her own experience as a mom. Her eldest son's sleep challenges had come to mind. He barely slept for the first three months of his life, which really led her to read every kind of current book and article on sleep that was available to her. And she found herself asking questions like, why can't he fall asleep on his own? Why does he wake up after such a short nap? And how do I help him sleep through the night? Influenced by learning how to create healthy sleep habits for her own kids, Joanna has successfully helped countless friends and colleagues work through their own children's sleep struggles. She realized that she really loved enabling other families to discover healthy sleep. Joanna decided that this was going to be her new professional challenge and uh, something that she had been longing for and looking for. She was inspired and ready to instill confidence in others regarding their kids' sleep. Joanna earned her certification as a child sleep consultant through the Family Sleep Institute. This program gave her the opportunity to connect with and learn from the industry's top sleep experts. The FSI program provides the most comprehensive evidence-based child sleep education. Joanna is also a member of the International Association of Child Sleep Consultants and has has additional certifications in reducing the risk of SIDS in child care and lactation management. Joanna combines both her personal and professional experience to enable and support her clients. She works with families through in-person, virtual, or phone consultations elicits their own goals, and provides a personalized sleep plan to meet each family's needs. She takes time to coach and support her families through their work together. Joanna has an MA, a master's degree, um, in curriculum and teaching in elementary education. And before she was a sleep consultant, she taught first and fourth grade and was a third grade learning specialist in New York City. Joanna, her husband, and their two boys now reside in Westchester, New York, near Long Island Sound. Welcome. Okay, Joanna, I'm so appreciative of your time, especially on this weekend uh, that you're taking out of family time to help us understand sleep transitions. And um, I really wanted to tackle two angles on this today. I would love to talk about what transitions in sleep mean for the infant. So what is actually happening in their development that causes these, what seems like really frequent transitions, right? We just have it down and then something changes again every two months. We're in a new rhythm. But I also wanted to talk about what it means for us um, as new parents and what sleep, how important it is for us and how we go about navigating that in the midst of really caring for a primary need now, right? And somebody else. So I, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank for you. Honest. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Um, I love being part of this, especially this particular series. I just think that um, any resources that can help 
new and expecting or seasoned parents, um, really any resources that are out there to help is is so important, especially, you know, we talk about the fourth trimester or those first few months of life mm-hmm. where everything feels very new. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to be yeah. here and talk about sleep. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So I have to say like before I had kids, I was probably, I was confident in some areas of parenting before I had kids because I've been exposed to a lot of kids for a long time. So I didn't worry about certain things around infancy and caring for an infant. Uh, It was probably a little cocky. There was a little bit of that in there. Like I thought I figured it out because I, oh, I know this stuff. I read these Mm -hmm. books. And then there's this category of like, I have no idea how I'm going to survive this. And I was most terrified of sleep. I loved my sleep routine. Like I thrived when I had my nine hours of sleep every night. And I'm like, I'm not that person. I'm not going to just be able to get up every two to three hours or like I, I knew I could never be a nurse. I could never do night shifts. I could never, it was just not my thing. And I was terrified of that piece. Um, we lucked out with number one. Our first child was a dream in the sleep department. And so I kind of, it fooled me into thinking, oh, this isn't actually that bad. And then my second jolted us out of that fantasy into reality because she had a sleep disorder with night terrors. We never got consecutive sleep past an hour and a half ever on any night for four years straight. And I still worked and I still had a toddler. And you swear that's going to kill you. You think there's no possible way you will get through And it's amazing what you rise to. So there's a little bit of nugget of hope there that like I've survived this, you can too. But my goodness, you don't know what's coming. Like it's so variable. I just wonder in your work, because it's so tailored to this aspect, what comes across your desk and across your screen? Who are you talking to? How priority based is the sleep thing in those first few months? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and a lot of what you said was sort of resonating with me as well. Um, you obviously really, you know, a sleep disorder like night terrors is a whole different um, area that really, you know, you're you're making sure your child's safe. You kind of have to let it play out and there's not a ton you can do. And so that's exhausting. And what you can accomplished during the day when you don't get sleep at night really sometimes is shocking to all of us. It's not that we should be doing that. No, all of us need the sleep, right? Uh-huh. We we all need sleep for mental well-being, for physical well-being, yeah. for, you know, postpartum, particularly in that fourth trimester. Yeah. If you're a parent that um, birthed a baby, you're healing, like all these pieces yep. um, that you need sleep for. And you're, and, and it's, it's very different than what sleep was like prior to having children. Um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, that beginning, those first few months, um, sleep can be so different. Like even you said two different children. So for new parents, I think this is a whole new world, but even for parents who have had a child, they're now Mm -hmm. having a different human being in their home. And that is a different baby who has different needs and different sleep. Um, so in those first few months, it's, um, miraculous what we can do with the lack of sleep, but it's not good for any of our bodies. Um, you know, I, I, tell families all the time, um, if you can get support, if you and your partner can take turns, if there is a partner, if you have family, great. I didn't, we don't live near family. So that, you know, wasn't as, uh, an option for us, but a friend, anyone who can help so that you can get some amount of rest, um, is really important because that new trimester, it's you're, you know, you're feeding a new person. Are you feeding them enough? We worry. 
Um, did the baby eat enough? Is the baby sucking? Is the baby latching? Is the baby digesting? Is the baby? There's so many new and worries um, mm. that we're focusing on, and yet focus is really hard when you're exhausted. Yeah. And it's hard to learn new things when you're exhausted, and it's hard to have patience when you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And yet you need all those things when you have a new baby, but right? you have yeah. to kind of be patient and it's a big learning curve. So I think sleep is, is like you said, it was like a huge adjustment or lack of sleep is a huge adjustment for um, anyone with a new baby because their sleep rhythms are different than ours. Um, biologically, they're just not developed yet. And so they do have daytime, nighttime confusion. They do have short intervals of sleep. Um, and that's a big disruption in our lives. So, yeah. you know, I work with families with children zero to 10. So I see like a, a whole all different types of sleep um, and sleep issues. But in those first few months, it's, we talk a lot about, you know, taking one day at a time, mm-hmm. um, helping your baby get a lot of sleep, a lot of safe sleep. And I can talk about that in a little bit, but, but I think that the change in sleep for us as adults, when we have a new child in our home is, a, is up at the top of the list of like, this was a big life-changing situation because yeah. When we don't sleep, everything is harder. Like it's just harder to. So foundational, to really, right? Yeah. Everything stems yeah. from that. Everything stems from it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. you know, emotional well being, whatever, you know, your, your focus, everything is, is much harder. And so um, I, I try to encourage families to rest when their baby's resting, if that's possible, to get help, if mm-hmm. that's possible. Um, and also just to kind of like give yourself a break in terms of, um, you know, you might not get, to the laundry tomorrow. You might not get <laughs> to making it yeah, meal, what else but, has but to that's, give, okay. that's okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Man, we have high bars, don't we? Yeah. Like we go in thinking we're just adding a little immobile yeah. being yes. to our lives. Yes. It's yeah. just going to lay there and it'll do what we say. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's, so not it's, that. it's hard too. Cause when I work with families, sometimes they'll say like, I didn't want to change my life around for this. Uh-huh. And there's and, resistance to that. But if, you know, and this is sort of after the first four months when you really do want to develop some sort of schedule and routine for sleeping. Um, and it does mean that you're kind of tied to being home or in a place where your baby can sleep Mm -hmm. at certain hours. And so it does mean adjusting life. But if you do that, if you're allowing your baby to sleep at those times, the benefit of it is so great for everyone that the long term is, yes, you want to be home for nap time so your child can sleep. I know it feels like you're not getting to do what you used to do, but yeah. when you're, when you respect sleep needs of your child, there's so many benefits to it for everybody. I think, aren't we just scared that they'll never change? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I think that's part of the recipe for me. It was like, yeah. I don't want to give in because if it means yeah. that's the destiny of my life for the next right. 20 right. years, no, right. thank you. It's right. hard when you have an infant to see past this phase and yet they're rapid. Those changes yes. happen yes. fast. Yeah, they do. I mean, the first four months and 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 really in those first few weeks, even from even yeah. zero to six weeks is different from eight to twelve weeks. And and from you know from the beginning, my focus with families a lot is safe sleep, no matter what. So I follow yeah. the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations and my certification program, which is the Family Sleep Institute, and and we follow the ABCs of sleep. So in those, if I say to families, in those first four months, things are going to change a lot. So you want to be flexible and you want to be patient, but things that you can sort of have control over, 
um, yep. making sure the environment is really safe. So baby's sleeping alone and you can room share. It's just a matter of in their own yeah. bassinet or crib or, or pack and play, um, baby sleeping on their backs. So putting them down on their backs every single time and um, in a in a crib or bassinet um, or pack and play that has no added bumpers, no mm-hmm. even mesh ones, no mobiles, nothing else in there. Just empty is the best. So so in those first few weeks when things are going to change a lot, you can kind of hone in on, okay, let's make sure the environment is super safe. Let's provide a dark room. Using white noise is great. It helps kind of um, mimic the womb. And, and if it's a constant shushing sound, it allows our brain to kind of get into a resting space. Um, yeah. So if you can have, if you want some control, because it feels like there's not very much that you can control, those are some things to start with. And then there's going to be changes. Like in those first few weeks, it's um, probably short intervals of sleep. So you might get 30 minutes of it at a time. Okay. Some babies sleep four hours at a time. It really is yeah. you know, dependent, but you want to focus on really short wake windows in those first four months. So even if your baby's sleeping 30 minutes or two hours, their time that they're awake should be pretty short, maybe 30 to 45 minutes. Um, and then they're going to be tired again and ready okay. for sleep. So, um, you know, focusing on safe sleep and focusing on helping your child get to sleep. So they sleep a lot. It might be shorter intervals. And that's the whole part of like, we're up a lot at night because they might sleep an hour and then be up to eat and then an hour and be up to eat. So there's a lot of frequent turnover, but there's still a lot of chunks of sleep. Um, So short wake windows and and really helping your baby to get to sleep at from, you know, zero to six or eight weeks, there is daytime, nighttime confusion. That is Okay, what, they're, bio, they're biologically yeah. not developed enough to have be able to know the difference between day and night. And so mm-hmm. it, it you should expect a very sleepy daytime baby and a baby that at night might be up more. And it's, again, like we said at the beginning, frustrating for us since we're like, yeah. it's 10 o'clock, I should be sleeping yeah. now, it's bedtime. And that's not necessarily your baby's biologically not ready for that yet. Um, mm-hmm. So that's okay. I, I always push people to know that keeping your baby up during the day is not going to help them sleep better at night mm. w- during that window of time. It's just going to make them more tired, Irritable. leading to overtired, yeah. leading to harder to fall back to sleep. Yeah. So during those first few weeks of life, they're biologically not ready for daytime, nighttime to settle in. So just helping them get a lot of sleep during the day and a lot of sleep at night, even if it's short windows of time. Um, and then at around six to eight weeks, there actually is this change happening and they are more, um, biologically developed to understand and, and have longer stretches at night. So you, a lot of families will start to see maybe not all families, every baby's a little different, but four hours, a stretch at night, or even a three hour stretch at night, sometimes more than that, because between that six and eight week window, you really will start to see their brain development, they're starting to move towards getting, being able to sleep longer. It's still very common to wake every three hours to eat. It's still common to eat a lot overnight, but you're going to not, you're going to see longer stretches, um, hopefully. And that daytime sleep will be shorter and maybe a more awake baby, but still, I mean, no more than an hour awake, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a very scheduled person. So I like thought I was going to have a schedule right away with my babies and didn't quite realize that they're not going to eat at the same time every day just yet. They're not going to sleep at the same time Mm -hmm. every day just yet. Like they're not old enough for a schedule yet, but what you can do, and this was helpful for me, 
is a routine. Yeah. So it's fun they're going to, gonna, rhythm. yep. So they're going to eat and then maybe up for a little bit and then sleep. And then they're right. going to eat and then maybe up for a little bit and then sleep. And if you can kind yeah. of get that routine in and it's not okay. going to be the same every day, but at least mm-hmm. you can kind of follow that routine. That, that was helpful for me mm-hmm. as someone who was like, I, I like, this is so, How do I it work felt with very this? out of control. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, I think in those first few weeks of life, it's a lot of safe sleep. It's helping your baby. I wouldn't expect to have a baby you that you just put down and falls asleep independently. You're going to mm-hmm. have to try out some soothing mechanisms, whether mm-hmm. it's rocking your baby or shushing your baby, or for some people walking or um, bouncing on a yoga ball. You're going to kind of experiment in that time to figure out what works for you and what works for your child. Um, try some different mechanisms and different soothing um, areas to see what's going to work for my baby. Um, you know, when you start, to, they've been up for 30 minutes, you're going to start to maybe notice some sleepy signs. Maybe their eyebrows are red. Maybe they're like kind of zoning or staring off into space. Maybe they're fussy or crying. You're going to you're going to start to pick up on your baby's sleepy cues mm-hmm. and kind of jump on it before they get overtired. So then start those soothing mechanisms moving into their dark room, swaddling them and putting them down before they get, um, overtired. Um, and then when they get the fundamental difference of who's in the lead there, right? So if we say you're, you baby are going to join me in my routine and my (laughs) rhythm and my timing and my schedule, then we get so frustrated with not just the baby, but ourselves. Why can't I make them fall asleep? I'm doing all the right things. But in the meantime, biologically, they're not connecting with your soothing mechanism because we're two hours late. Right. Well, (laughs) and I, I, that's such a good point. I tell families, no matter how old their child is, we we can't force a child to sleep. We as parents can provide a conducive sleep environment Mm -hmm. and we can um, help them with the tools they need to learn to self-soothe. And when they're babies, we can help rock them and soothe them when they're very young. Um, but we can't force. So we have yeah. to kind of take their lead sometimes, especially in those beginning weeks where we're really looking for, she's been up for 30 minutes already. We're going to move towards mm-hmm. like, she's going to start to get cranky soon and we're going to have to move towards, even if it means putting her in some sort of a carrier and wearing her and helping her sleep that way. Um, You're not creating bad habits in those first few weeks and months. You really aren't. As long as it's safe, you're Mm -hmm. not. You're helping your baby get the best sleep. Um, And so as you go, maybe you're in eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks now, you're starting to figure out really what soothing mechanisms work for my child. And then you can start to be consistent with them. So you've tried out a few different ones, but now you realize that, you know, rocking is what works for your baby. So be consistent with that. You have a consistent environment now. You have a consistent routine where maybe you change a diaper and then you swaddle and then you rock. And yep. you you kind of try have those consistent routines at the beginning. And again, it's all about routine. It's not necessarily mm. schedule quite yet. Mm. Um, but by you know 16 weeks, there actually is a big developmental change that happens. Mm. And a lot of parents will say, oh, there's a four-month regression you know, I had a really sleepy baby. She was sleeping really well. And then at four months, everything fell apart. Um, and it's, it's actually less of a regression and more, um, developmental. So you might start to see social smiles. Your baby's much more aware of you and being in the room. And it's like, you know, she's Mm. actually seeing you and smiling, not just like a a random smile, which is like amazing. Right. And that's showing developmental changes, which actually means Mm. um, sleep can change. Um, And so Mm. rather than working on wake windows, that's when I adjust um, 
because now biologically a baby's circadian rhythm has developed. And that's what we all have. That's our internal clock. It dictates our sleep cycles and our wake cycles. So as adults and as older people who have a circadian rhythm, light tells our brain it's time to be awake. So whether it's sunlight, overhead light, a phone, cell phone light, that's tricking your brain or telling your brain, oh, it's it's awake time. And darkness tells our brain it's time to be asleep. And we as adults get our best quality, um, most restorative sleep at night. So we get all the benefits from sleep when we sleep at night um, for physical and and mental well-being. And babies starting at around four months, we can actually start to match their sleep to their circadian rhythm. So we looked at awake windows, like from zero to four months, it was all about up for a short time, back to sleep, up for a short time, Mm -hmm. like looking at those wake windows. And then we're making this transition. Um, to actually be closer to looking at the clock and saying, it's 9am, it's time for a nap. It's 12 o'clock, it's time for a nap. Um, And it doesn't happen overnight. When I work with families with babies this age, it's kind of a, you know, between four and five months, we work on this. So some days, that first nap really wasn't great. And so we're not going to make it to the next set time, it's going to have to be a little bit earlier. But what we're aiming for is um, three naps a day, and that first nap happening around 8.30, 9 o'clock, depending on the waking of, you know, if you have a really early riser. And then yeah. we're hoping for about a 12 o'clock nap. And then that third nap is actually just a cat nap. So the first two naps of the day are the ones we want to be the restorative naps. One's a mentally restorative yeah. nap. One's a physically restorative nap. And the cat nap is really just bridging the gap between um, naps ending and bedtime starting it's just too long of a stretch to go. Um, And so at this point, up until now, I've really said to families, if you need to rock your baby, if your baby's in a stroller, if they're moving and sleeping and you're trying to, you know, get them to sleep in a safe way, that's great. Now there's this developmental change where their circadian rhythm is, is developed and we can start to match sleep to it so that they get the best quality sleep. Mm -hmm. And now we actually want to move into motionless sleep. Um, and motion sleep is rocking and rocking a baby to sleep and motionless sleep is if you, you know, are put down in a crib or a bassinet, or if we lie down in bed and fall asleep without the motion, um, motion puts our bodies to sleep, but it actually doesn't allow us to get into a deep restorative sleep. Um, so you're, you know, up until this point, so now we're having like a potentially learning curve for babies because up until now, maybe your baby can fall asleep independently you've tried a little bit, or maybe you're helping still. Um, But now is when you want to really start to help your baby learn to self-soothe so that you can put them down awake in a non-motion environment, and then they can fall asleep independently. And that's when they fall into a deep sleep. And that's when they get really quality, restorative, Mm -hmm. healthy sleep. Um, It doesn't happen overnight though. So I also tell families, you know, this is a process. Learning to self-soothe is like learning to crawl or learning to walk. It takes time and Mm. it takes patience and it takes practice. Um, There's lots of ways you can help your child learn, um, but you want to give them some space to be independent and support them in in it um, so that they can really take those two naps in the beginning, you know, that are non-motion. And then the third Mm. nap I tell families, if you have to go on a walk, if you want to go in the stroller, that's the one that if you're in a car and your baby falls asleep, because that's actually not the restorative nap. That's just like right. a cat nap, catch up. sometimes yeah, catch up. Right. Yeah. If you had two not great naps the minute in the middle, beginning of the yeah. day, that's like where you know you're going to sleep. Um, huh. And so, and, and so that's around the four or five month, month mark. And that's why you hear people say, 
four months and, and everything fell apart, your baby's yeah. actually developing and growing and ready for change um, and ready for a transition. So, mm-hmm. and they'll take those three naps until about seven or eight months. And then it becomes two naps, um, similar yes. to the others based on, on timing, looking at the yeah. clock and saying, okay, it's nine o'clock, it's time for a nap. Um, so the, the, you know, those, those first few weeks, it's safe sleep and short wake windows and, you know, one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time, just to make sure your baby's getting a lot of sleep yeah. um, and, and trying soothing mechanisms, seeing what works for your baby and what works for you, what you feel mm-hmm. comfortable with um, until you have a consistency. And then you're trying, then you're trying to stick with some consistency so that you're giving the baby the message where I'm, I'm swaddling you and rocking you. That means it's going to be time to go to sleep. We're going into a dark room and I'm turning the white noise on. Oh, those are indicators that it's going to be time to go to sleep soon. Um, mm-hmm. So, so those are some big transitions, but yeah, go, yeah. They're huge. I was just imagining all the families that have shorter than desired um, maternity or parental leaves. Yeah. And where daycare is mm-hmm. setting the tone. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> I work with lots that of families. Is to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I work with a lot of families that children are in daycare um, and we kind of do the best we can. A, a lot of daycares are wonderful and they actually already have really good time set up for naps or I will encourage a family to say, um, we're working on this. Are these the nap times or what can we do to work around? Can, do you yeah, think advocate. 9am would be appropriate? Yep. Really advocating for yourself mm-hmm. and asking, cause we would be surprised to know that family, they, they will, daycares will then say, oh, okay, sure. I mean, mm-hmm. we can't change the whole classroom of children, but if, yeah. if it's between a nine o'clock or a 10 o'clock nap and we ask for nine, they're going to hopefully say, sure. Um, a lot of daycares are already doing it. And then sometimes, like what I run into sometimes with daycares, um, and and it's fine, is that usually um, up until a year and past a year, you want a baby taking two naps a day. Um, I really encourage holding on to two naps until closer to 15 to 18 months. But there are a lot of daycares that at one year, you switch into a older kid classroom and drop one nap. And so you're only napping once. And if that's the case, then we work with it. And I encourage families Mm -hmm. to offer two naps on the weekends. Um, maybe to help them get two naps on those days and just offer a super early bedtime. So there are ways yeah. to, to um, adjust, but yeah. It, um, it's a tricky advocating, factor, right? It's a yeah. tricky factor and advocating and asking, just speaking up and, and, and asking the daycare beforehand. Um, yeah. Hey, this is what we're working on. Is, is this something that we can, can do and, and yeah. you can help us with? That's really good. There's so much in there. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just recalling. I mean, my kids are 11 and 14, so it's my memory's a little bit shot, but just but, some of the stuff you yeah. brought up, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I did not know that. No wonder that was such a tricky spot for us. Like, it's hard and I even because thought about the difference between me and my partner in soothing. So the way our kids received soothing was different. Course, and even if course. it felt like it was, we were doing the same thing, like we were both rocking, the right. feel of that was unique. Yes. And yes. one of our kids is just so sensory mm-hmm. specific, just could pick up on subtle differences and would mm-hmm. not have it from one, but loved yep. it from the other. Right. And yeah. just that yep. didn't, it's so much changes our dynamics and yes. yeah. And, and children from birth can read our energy for sure. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I, as hard as it is, when I work with families, they're really struggling with sleep. So when they come to me, they are 
they feel like they are at rock bottom or they feel like they yes. really are, are, are like not sure what to do. And it's hard to be positive about sleep when they're coming to me because they already are feeling yeah, pretty down about it. And, it, hey? and totally. I, can, I always say, but if you're feeling not great about sleep, your child isn't either. They might not have the language to say, yes. I'm tired or I don't like bedtime or even if they're three or four years old. But mm -hmm. the more positive we can be or the more relaxed we can be about it, just like you said, your child who's sensory aware was very aware of what was happening when either parent yeah. was Could doing feel bedtime any subtle change. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. as hard as it is, um, especially when you're kind of living it in those and really in those first few months when you're exhausted, the more you can stay calm and positive and think mm -hmm. I'm going to help my baby get to sleep and put her down. And maybe she's going to stay asleep when I put her down. Like it, it's, mm -hmm. it, it will help as it, it's hard, but it will help. Yeah. It is so much about adjusting our expectations, which is why yes. the education is so important because right. if we, if we go in thinking this isn't working because of something I'm doing wrong, we right. get so agitated by that or feel shame or frustration or, you know, yeah. um, and if we understand actually what's happening right now is just a normal developmental phase. There's nothing broken here, right? but how are you going to actually lower the expectation or change the expectations so that right. you, right. you know what you're participating in rather than feeling like I'm failing at this because the result is not what I expected when I went in. Right. And I, I remember feeling with my older son who, mm -hmm. who did struggle with sleep at the beginning, I remember thinking like, what am I doing wrong? This, yeah, I'm taking an totally. hour to feed him an hour to help him get to sleep. He sleeps for an hour and then he's up again. Like, What, yeah. what am I missing? And what is it that I'm doing wrong? Am I not feeding him right? Am I not? And it's, he, he just, he needed more support to get mm -hmm. to sleep. I thought I was going to put down a baby and he was going to fall asleep on his own, but that's not yeah. how it is always. Babies sometimes need more yeah. help than that. And I, I just didn't know that going in. And so yeah. you start to feel like, what did I do wrong? Um, which so is not a great you, feeling. From all the things that kind of flow into the work that you do, what would you say is kind of like the more common tips you end up giving? The things that people yeah. surprisingly don't know about or are surprised by when you share that and they go, oh my goodness, that made such a big difference. Like, yeah. do you have a kind of like the top five things that stand out to you that go, oh, those are our big ones? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think probably you've heard me say some because I feel like I probably yeah. say them a lot, but I think that um, one is being really patient with yourself and with your child because- yeah. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. Even if your things are going well, it's not going to happen overnight. So be patient with yourself. Um, mm -hmm. Every child is a little different. Um, but if you can have confidence in your child, like if you can think mm -hmm. in yourself, my kid can do this. I just, I have to allow the space, give some tools, give some teaching. My child can do this. Mm -hmm. um, your child will start to have confidence in themselves. Like you feeling mm -hmm. confident and also having confidence in your, in your baby will goes a long way. Yeah. Um, but knowing that, like we said at the beginning, that that change is going to be frequent. So what happened last night <laughs> at the beginning is not necessarily what's going to happen tonight. And that's okay. Like that is really okay. And um, yeah, so I think it, having, being patient, staying positive and having confidence and knowing, especially in those first four months, each night might be a little different and each day might be a little different, but that's okay. We don't yeah. expect it to be exactly the same. Um, I think that I 
you know, I often surprise people with the the motion sleep, motionless sleep part, but that's yeah. more of a, like a tactic. Um, and um, so, so I think people often get surprised and don't necessarily want to hear that because a lot of people do rely on motion to help their baby sleep. And again, in those first four months, that's okay. Like you want to do anything safe that you can to help your baby sleep. But um, yeah. after that, then make the change. But, um, and then what I said also before is just to, to stay as positive as possible because it really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I say with my family with toddlers also. Um, and I know, you know, we're talking about more at the beginning of life babies, but with toddlers also, when you're exhausted and they wake you up in the middle of the night or you're up in the middle of the night and you are frustrated and annoyed, they see that. But if you're not, then it's, they're not really getting it. They'll see that. Right. 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 So yeah, I just think, you know, particularly in the beginning, take, take the time to be patient and, and know that it's okay if it's not the same every single day. On the topic of tips, there was one yep. thing that I I was, you know, as I was prepping for today's episode, I was thinking about back to how it affected, well, I mean, us as parents do, because we felt we were caring for a toddler who was impacted by our second child's troubles yes. in sleep. And yes. so we were aware of how loud her night terrors yeah. were. So uh-huh. Every hour and a uh-huh. half, our poor other one was being jolted yeah. asleep who would normally be a really solid sleeper. Right. Um, and so we instituted all sorts of, man, you get creative. Hey, like we had weighted blankets. We had, uh, we moved her bedroom down the hall. Yep. We yep. put white noise machines on, blackout mm-hmm. curtains for our other mm-hmm. one. And just a pillow, like a roll that we like put in the hallway against the buffer. Against the door. door. <laughs> like, how many more things can we add? But it felt yeah. so important because we were just aware of how it was affecting the child who couldn't sleep right. well, but it was like yeah. what the ripple effects were. Yeah. Yeah. And there yeah. are, I mean, when I work with families who have multiple children um, and, you know, depending, sometimes I'm working with the older child and not the baby. And yeah. sometimes I'm working with the baby and not the older child. But when I work with families and I'm helping them with their younger child, Um, the first thing I have families do no matter what is actually sit down with the older child and just say, um, we're helping your baby brother Mm. or sister or whoever be a, um, get really good sleep. Like you get really good sleep. So you Mm. might hear some crying or you might hear some noises or he might be awake more, but he's okay. And he's safe. He's just Mm. learning to be sleeping, like sleep, like you. So that's not going to stop them from hearing, but we just want to let them know from the beginning the baby is safe. The baby is loved lower, and yeah, actually their practicing. Yep. They're practicing okay. some, some tools to be a sleeper, just like you're, you sleep mm-hmm. so well. So kind of put it in that way, oh, just so, so they good. hear it and they know. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I think that that may not prevent a nighttime wake up, but at least if it does, then it's, it's okay. And, and again, with night terrors, mm-hmm. it's a very different, um, it can be a very different scenario. And, yeah. Um, when, if it's a baby that's waking to eat and they, they truly need to wake to eat, you're probably meeting their needs pretty quickly and not the crying's yeah, not going on that's for right. very They'll long. Respond to that. Yeah. But then there are other mm-hmm. times when we're, when we're working on self-soothing and so a baby will wake and you're using other mechanisms, whether you're in the room with the baby or checking on the baby or doing something other than feeding. Um, and that mm-hmm. can cause prolonged noises or crying. And like you said, we add white noise to the hallway, white noise to the room, maybe moving a child. Um, If it's children who are already sharing a room or who are going to share a room, um, for children who are already sharing a room, like maybe I'm working with an older child and there's a younger child, 
mm-hmm. either one. I often will move the um, more flexible sleeper, meaning the sleeper okay. who, um, who can adapt. If, if yeah, if you can yeah. move to a parent room for a couple nights, knowing that you are going back to your own room in yes. a few nights, so you are yeah. this is a special treat or whatever you know. Yeah. Move the more flexible sleeper for a couple of nights while you work on helping the other sleeper, um, yeah. and then move them back into the room so that it should it can, and and I do that like I said flexible because it means that child is probably going to be okay with a few nights of a disrupted sleep and yeah, then back totally. into their bed, but but it's hard, yeah. Um, and and the other piece, mm-hmm. and again, this is not necessarily with with night terrors, which can be longer episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes toddlers or older children don't wake when they hear their siblings mm-hmm. like we do because we are so in tune to like hear our child right. and be ready up in a minute them. like ready yeah. to go and yeah. for a sibling it's like I don't need to deal with that like I, yeah, I, I, I don't need out. to take care of that yeah so yeah. so sometimes that's the case it's not yeah. always the case but I think a little prep work um, and just letting them know mm. the baby's gonna be okay she's just learning or your sister's okay she's she's learning yeah. or we're, we're helping her we're working on it with her cool yeah. You know, before we jumped on today's call, I was mentioning how a lot of people don't know sleep consultants exist, right? And yes. and and when we do learn that, it's because we're like madly Googling at 3 a.m. after <laughs> two years yes. of panic yep. <laughs> around yep. our kids' sleep. Yep. So yep. instead of wanting to wait to get this into the hands of people who are desperate, you know, I want people to know how many supports exist before they even find themselves in the position of needing it. And I think by and large, we go to our pediatrician. It's like, that's how our medical systems are set up is that's the gate. And if for anything and everything, and if you're lucky, um, because even some places you're going to be on a wait list for a pediatrician. So you go to your GP and there's not specialized care often in those centers and those places or the time. And it just, and I think sleep stuff often gets dismissed. Um, So if a parent is in distress about it and they're looking for actual coaching, a pediatrician is not necessarily going to coach you they'll just say don't worry about it they're fine the baby's fine healthy they check out there's nothing odd here but it doesn't equip parents with anything different right right? so and and that's I mean our pediatrician was wonderful when I had my babies and I remember being in tears in her office at one point saying like I I can't do this and but it is true like you know they go through years and years of medical training but the amount of like sleep specific for a child training that they mm-hmm. get is is not and they and then frankly they don't have time like they're yeah. it's not fair to them either right. they 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 have a schedule they have to keep to and as much time as they want to spend with you they sometimes aren't able to you know yeah. for for insurance reasons or whatever it may be so mm-hmm. it's tricky and and they can be really helpful and of course if it's something that is that you're concerned the baby's not gaining weight or not eating enough yeah. or not um, or digesting then you're going to your pediatrician and finding out and once those pieces are ruled out um, that it's not a medical situation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then yes, sleep consultants are here and and very, very helpful. And I remember, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times people say to me when I tell them what I do, that's so cool. Wait, what is it? What do you do? Like, <laughs> wait, what? Like the first reaction is like, yeah, oh, what does that's that mean? Awesome. Wait, what? who do you work with? <laughs> like, um, so it's not, you know, that's it's it's not a well known no, piece. it's and, not. And as I said before, when people come to me, it's usually because yeah. it's been, or they'll say, Last I can't straw. believe I didn't call you. Like, why didn't I call you a year ago? Like, why? And I love what I do so much because mm. when we're done working together, people will say, like, that was life changing. 
Yeah. Because as we all know, sleep is, it yeah, impacts all of us. It's <laughs> it keeps life. us it, alive. It impacts yeah. your relationships, your marriage, yeah. your health, your well-being. Yeah. And when you're not sleeping or when your child's not sleeping, it's, yep. it is. And, and I also think that families think like, oh, this is just the way it's going to be. Like, I just yeah. have a kid who's not going to be There's nothing I can do about it. Nothing mm-hmm. I can do. He's, she's really stubborn. He's real, this baby's just not going to, and I'll, and and the issue, the thing is, if there's not a medical reason, like if there's not something that's preventing sleep, then then we can work together and and make changes. Mm-hmm. So, I think um, you know doulas are of course wonderful to support yeah. with moms and parents and and um, and pediatricians are wonderful also. But but reaching out for to help with a sleep consultant, it, it's if you need it, is really, it it makes a big difference. It's somebody who will, I mean, when I work with families, I, I get to know them and figure out what it is that they need. And then we make a plan for them. So there's lots of moms, parents, groups out there. You can put a question on there. You'll get a hundred responses back of what to do and not what's not, not to do. Um, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not right for you or what, Mm -hmm. like you just need to know what you should do with your child. Um, and so it's hard to pick through all that that information. I often ask parents to almost just honor their own needs in that sense. I think we we dumb it down or minimize it and we think, oh, it's not that it can't be that bad. I'm not going to I'm not going to get one-on-one support for something that I can just google or I can just talk to right. a friend about or. And I think it we land in a, a real place of disappointment and disservice to ourselves and our kids because we've we've shamed ourselves kind of into believing we don't deserve sure. that level of care. For sure. And we all suffer as a result of it unnecessarily, yep. you know, and yeah. you could spend, you know, I, I think about this even just this benign uh, example, but you know, I put my kids in swimming lessons and there were like eight kids in the class. And I calculated one day how much individual attention they got in that class. And it was four minutes. I'm like, I'm paying for a right. half an hour lesson. Right. And yes, it's cheaper than the one-on-one, but the right. one-on-one is actually turns out to be cheaper because they right. get that person right. for the whole right. 30 minutes and it actually costs right. less if you right. add that up. You know? Right. Right. And, and, and just go right. quality. it is true. And, and yeah. when I, we, I, um, with my older son when he was two, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we used a sleep consultant. We, I was, mm-hmm. I, I was at a loss. I didn't know what else to do. And I was a teacher at the time. And I remember thinking like, I, I can't help my kids sleep. Like what is wrong with me? Why, what? what mm-hmm. And then I just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I get help for other things. Like there are other things I go to the pediatrician <laughs> to if my child is sick. So I go, right. So why there, there yeah. are people out there. Um, and my husband yeah. knew somebody who's, who knew a sleep consultant and we reached out and, and then I was almost like, do I tell people I did this? Do I need to be embarrassed that I did this? I don't want to tell anybody that I needed help. That is crazy. Um, you should, it's okay to ask for help. It makes Mm -hmm. sense. If you need help, every child is not going to be the easiest sleeper there. It's just, they're not necessarily wired like that. And it's okay to ask for help. Um, it's really important actually to ask for help. So yeah. I I appreciate you saying that. Every episode we try and normalize anything that has to do with our health and our mental well-being. And yep. and I think so much of what stops us from getting the resources that we need is ourselves. We put our own blocks in. And I mm-hmm. say that I say that knowing the bigger context is the stigma. We've we've learned to believe that we're going to look like we're less than or weak or unable 
right. if we reach out for these things and that's absolutely not the case. So if we can embolden parents to say, I'm not buying that narrative, I'm not going right. to uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to get the help and then help yep. other people. Cause once we're in it more often times than not, we go, why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah. We have that reaction. I have that in the yep. counseling office all the time. Yeah. Like, why did I yep. wait until yep. I felt like I couldn't do life anymore? Right. I'm like, right. Because we're conditioned to believe that that's what counseling is, that it isn't right. preventative, that it isn't right. early intervention, that it isn't coaching and life planning it, right, right. you know, and then we find and, ourselves. And there. Yeah. For parenting too. We're just supposed to believe that we're supposed to yeah. like know all the answers when yeah. we have kids, but I, I, how would you know? Like, it, it, how do you know that your child at two? Yeah. At two, there might be some sleep disruption just because mm -hmm. they turn two and there's developmental changes yeah. happening. Yeah. Like it, it's okay. Um, yeah. but, but asking for help is really, um, is so important for families and to not mm -hmm. feel like they, they failed. It's not, you didn't fail because your yeah. child's not sleeping. You just needed some help. Yeah. Um, so, Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I also love it when parents find out when they reach out for help, how much they're doing right. They, yeah. They're convinced that, I, well, I'm reaching out for the things that are problematic. Right. And then right. you get on the line with a professional who are like, right. wow, good job. You're doing so right. many of the I'm things like, wow, already. The, the room is great. The environment's awesome. Yeah. You're already doing Look all these great things. And they're like, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Phew. Right? Uh -huh. Love that. Yep. Yep. Thank you for your yeah. time today. I'm oh. um, going to include your information in the show notes for people who would like to learn more about your practice and um, accessing services and resources. I'm going to direct them to you. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was great. It was such a fun conversation. And I, it's just, I'm, I'm so happy to be part of um, a series that's really supportive of, of families and parents. So thank you. Excellent. Have a great yeah. week. Thanks. You too. Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.